Welcome to The Ripple Effect with Soria, where we discuss personal development, the entrepreneurial journey, and impact. Here is your host, Armando Soria. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to The Ripple Effect with Soria. I'm your host, Armando, and Happy New Year. Today, we have a very special guest. I am very excited to introduce you guys to my friend, Mr. Alex Duda. Alex is a co-founder of an eight-figure restoration company out of Chicagoland area. He is also founder of Albiware, which is a, a powerful software. <laughs> Suffice to say, we use it as our CRM, job file management software, as well as our mitigation data software here in our restoration industry. And he's also a father, a husband, and now an author of his latest book, The Restoration Millionaire. Alex, what's up, buddy? How are you today? Hey, man. Happy New Year. Thanks for having me here. I'm super excited. I love everything you're doing, and I love following your journey. And uh, yeah, super honored to be here. And thanks for that intro. It was great. Yeah, awesome, man. No, I, I appreciate you and your time and your patience. I know that technology gets a little wild sometimes, so I'm glad, I'm glad we're able to make this happen. Um, Alex, I know I just gave you a brief intro, but if you could do me a favor and just maybe dive in and tell us a little, about, a little bit about yourself to our audience. And just so you know, our audience, we, we have all sorts of different entrepreneurs from restoration companies to uh, all sorts of realtors and property managers and arborists and landscapers. And thank you all for, for, for listening, but just wanted to give you just that note. Um, and I know a lot of what you talk about is broad enough where it's going to bring value to across all industries. But with that being said, Alex, if you don't mind giving us a brief intro. Yeah, absolutely. I'll, uh, I'll try to be very brief here, but been an entrepreneur my whole life. Uh, only job I had was when I was 15 at a local car wash. But other than that, I uh, did all kinds of weird entrepreneurial stuff. Um, within high school, I had a snow removal business. So we'd basically go plow driveways and uh, commercial lots uh, in between um, school and non-school hours and um, sold a lot of t-shirts and promotional materials to car dealerships. Did that gig for uh, quite some time. And then straight out of high school, my dad and I were kind of strategizing as to what was next. Uh, my father had grown up in the trades, well, first generation American, or yeah, first generation immigrant to America from Romania. Um, he had done a lot of subcontracting work in the restoration industry. So I kind of grew up seeing him, you know, basically rebuild, you know, two to three story buildings after they burned down. Mm. And we were sitting and strategizing, hey, what's the next thing that we could potentially do together? And we came up with the idea of, hey, instead of being the subcontractor for restoration companies, why don't we just become the main big deal of a restoration company? So that was in 2014, started on a mission, each of us to have a truck, each of us to make $100,000 a year. And uh, that quickly grew to like today, Remixter has you know 80 some employees, about 30 trucks throughout the Chicagoland area, uh, pretty mature company and a leader within this market. And while building Remextera, the funny part was we realized that there was a lack of technology within the restoration space. Yes. And um, we wanted to solve it just for ourselves first. So the concept of Alvi started as, um, hey, can we build an end-to-end -end workflow management tool that can handle jobs from the minute the phone call comes in to the minute we get the payment? And um, we built the POC for ourselves. I partnered with my best friend from college. He was a engineering whiz working at another software company on its way to Microsoft and we built it. And then we went into the, you know, some conferences and such and talked to some friends in the industry. They're like, I want to buy that too. I'm like, it's not really for sale. I had no <laughs> idea what was going on with software and I had no idea how to license software and such. 
And that kind of sparked the light bulb. And Rumexter had gotten to maturity. We really didn't want to add multiple locations or do anything crazier of that sense at the time. Mm-hmm. I was like, you know, how else can I make massive impact in the world? That's really something that's always driven me. And I read more into software and I saw software as this apartment building that you can rent to tens of thousands of people, right? Once you build a building mm-hmm. and I saw how scalable it was. I saw how much impact it can drive. I saw the value that it brought, you know, down to earth contractors that are feeding their families and how it can make their lives easier. Mm-hmm. So I decided to embark on this journey of, Hey, let's build this software that really propels restoration forward. And for the past, I don't know, three to four years, that's kind of been my thesis and everything I do, it has to fit the bucket of moving the restoration industry from the antiquated industry. It's been forward. Absolutely. No, and, and as a restorer myself, I, I, I see you and, and I appreciate that vision and, and that drive and purpose. I mean, it's, <clears throat> I'm a happy customer, as you know, uh, for, awesome. of Albiware. And, um, and it really does, um, it really does make life a lot easier having a, a solution like that, um, you know, for, for us, for us in the trades, or us knuckle draggers, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and, you know, um, one part I left out during the intro, and I think it's important to note just as we dive in here is, in addition to an entrepreneur and and um, author, you're also a, a consultant and a business coach. Um, I, and I think that's really important to highlight because again, it ties in just to the fact that you are driven with a bigger purpose than, than yourself. And it really is uh, something that's admirable that I, I, I admire. And it's really cool. Um, I've, I followed your work um, when, I, and I don't know what, what year you, uh, when did you find, uh, when did you guys, um, create Albiware? When, when was it released for market? I guess you could say. It went to market in 2021. We founded it in 2020. Yeah. That's awesome. And I think I, I want to say we, we signed up with it in 2022, early, early 2022, maybe even late 2021. And, um, and so when we just through mutual, uh, you know, forums and threads just kind of came across your name and I started watching, uh, you know, uh, you obviously push the pro not, not in a bad way, but in a good way, push the software and, and get the word out on it. And of course I started following that. Then next thing you know, it, I started really watching your, you know, you did something that was very against the grain, very different for our trade. And that was, you know, you really took pride in the webinars. You really took pride in the education. And I'm not saying that there aren't other people doing it. There are, but just as compared to other industries, as you know, it is, it is different. And, and, um, I mean, even from the few people that do podcasts and the few people that do reels, I mean, we're, we're a little bit behind in our trade. And, and I say that with all respect and I love being a restorer, but that I think was what ultimately, you know, uh, grabbed, grabbed attention. Um, you know, when I turned and I was like, man, I really like what this guy's doing. And as I was paying attention to your, to you, uh, develop this software and give all this education and whatnot, I also started seeing that you were heavily involved in personal development, which, you know, as, as you know, um, I had started my, my development journey. And so right away I was like captivated. I'm like, man, this, this is, this guy's the real deal. Can you talk, touch on this a little bit? Can we talk about the personal development as, as how it applies to, to your life and where you are now, what you're doing in terms of the consulting and the coaching kind of just go from there. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'll start with my core belief and that's because it's just important to me. We all exist in this world to first build the best version of ourselves and then second pour it back into the world to make as much impact as possible. And I think like, if you do that, you'll reach fulfillment, you'll reach legacy, 
and you'll be able to have things that I don't think money, you know, uh, fame, any of those things can really unlock for you. Mm. Um, and then the second thing, the second realization that I see, especially, you know, being an entrepreneur myself is that the biggest bottleneck to any business is the entrepreneur and the founder themselves. And I see so many people like, you know, out their business literally outgrows them. And once the business outgrows them, they're in this zone of pain where they just got a lot of stress, a lot of headache, and it's impossible, not sustainable to have the aspiration and the drive to grow a business to every eight figures, but not be able to grow yourself as an eight figure entrepreneur or nine figure entrepreneur. So that's what kind of sparked the idea of personal development. The other thing I realized um, is one of the keys to my success. I'm a very young entrepreneur and a lot of people ask me, okay, how by the age of 27 were you able to do all these things? Mm-hmm. I realized that the hack, quote unquote, with personal development is you literally go find the person who's had the problem that you're facing right now and solved it. And maybe they spent a lifetime trying to solve it. You get next to that person, you pay them for their time. They give you the solution, you implement it. And it literally saves you all that time. So like from a very early age, I mean, I I went in and consumed all the books that I possibly can. I had multiple coaches for different aspects of my life. And even today, I mean, I've got seven coaches that I actively work with to to better myself. I mean, Dan Martell, he's a serial entrepreneur, software, uh, three-time software founder. He is absolutely extraordinary when it comes to software. Clayton Mask, he's the CEO of Infusionsoft. He sits on our board of advisors. I meet with him on a monthly basis. I've got a personal trainer that I work with that focuses on just Spartan races as that's my, you know, health area. That's what I try to do. Mm-hmm. I've got a nutritionist. I've got a spiritual coach. And yeah, you just go find those people. You build the best version of yourself and then you pour it back into everything you do. You show up 110% and it's just mind blowing. And a lot of people, they're hesitant. They're they're almost selfish. Like they're willing to spend $10,000 to go buy, I don't know, five dehumidifiers and restoration, but they're not willing to spend $10,000 to take themselves and their wife to date with destiny at, by Tony Robbins, for example, and mm-hmm. just transform their marriage. Mm-hmm. It's like, we say that, you know, the way we show up in life is very important, but then we do the exact opposite with our money. So yeah, I think every entrepreneur, the biggest bottleneck to their dreams, goals, aspirations is not outside factors. It's not money. There's plenty of it in the world. It's not market size. There's plenty of it in the world. The biggest bottleneck and arguably the only one is themselves. So if you're listening to this podcast and you don't have a coach and you don't read books, for example, and you don't follow podcasts, like, and you're not actively working on building yourself, you're, you're going to be outdated. Your businesses are going to overgrow you. You're going to be in the zone of pain. You're going to hate your life. And then you'll probably sell your business on like some sort of impulsive, get rid of it decision because you weren't able to build it into something sustainable. Absolutely. No, absolutely. And I agree with you 100%. And I know just from personal experience that making that decision that seems so hard don't know why, <laughs> right? Yeah. But it seems so hard to hire that first coach, you know, um, and and thank God that I'm blessed with a beautiful wife that that gave me the green light and made me feel a little bit better about about investing in one in myself, which is bizarre, yeah. right? It's bizarre when you think about it like that. But once I made that investment, that's when the wheels came off and 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 life changed. Not just business, but 
all aspects of it and and through coaching and i i do have a, a couple coaches even now um and i'm part of mastermind groups and you know consume quite a bit of content and honestly that's the whole purpose behind this this podcast here was it was just to give value because of how valuable it was the content was you know in my life um so i yeah man we're we're one in the same in in, in that sense um let me ask <clears throat> what now, now I want to tie that into your book uh, because there's some topics in it that I do want to get into and discuss. And uh, uh, let me ask what inspired you? I'm sure there's, there's some tie in here, but what inspired you ultimately to, to write the, uh, the restora restoration millionaire? Yeah. So I, I think a couple of trends that I noticed. So I, I realized first of all, the value books had brought me. Um, so I read a ton of books and I'll take everything from books and implement them within my business. And I'll realize how much they've impacted and how much impact they've made. Um, so I kind of took that trend. And then my mentor, Dan Martell, wrote Buy Back Your Time and um, kind of explained to me the process that he went through to write it and such. And it ended up being, you know, a Wall Street Journal bestseller. And it ended up impacting a lot of lives. Um, and I was like, okay, well there is no restoration specific self-help book. Mm -hmm. This probably won't be a wall street journal bestseller because restoration is super small, but you know what? I think that there's the need for a, here's tactically how to grow and scale your restoration business. And here's my story with the good, with the bad, with the ugly, right? I mean, we, we go through all kinds of low parts of my life and high parts and we go through mistakes and, and hurrahs, right? Mm -hmm. And yeah, that was the goal. It was basically, hey, restoration doesn't have a business self-help book. It's my mission to propel that industry forward. So, hey, let's bring the restoration industry the book it needs. And it's crazy. It just launched like not even a week ago, like January 2nd or 3rd was when it quote unquote officially launched. And I mean, blowing up. You know, hundreds of people have already bought it. I'm getting yeah. messages like I'm blown away. It sounds like you're speaking to me. Like everybody is just, wow. The and it's like, if you would have them read other books that talk about the same principles, it wouldn't speak to them the same way because it's not restoration specific. Mm -hmm. So it's basically all that knowledge, all that coaching, all the books that I read applied to restoration, put through the ringer in restoration, synthesized, and then packaged up together into Restoration Millionaire. That's so. awesome, man. Yeah, no, I just got goosebumps because I'm thinking about this and it's just what's so cool about that is the veil's been lifted. You know, it's like they yeah. take they took that pill in the matrix, right? Now they mm -hmm. you, you've opened up the world that you know that's gonna it's awesome. It's incredible. Yeah. And and what's really cool is is you know you you you're, you've been educated you've been coached you've been mentored but you've done it right and then beyond that and this part was really i didn't even consider it when i was listening to to the book cuz i have the audiobook um you have so much data built in just because of the you know because of albiware and how that ties into your experience as a as a consultant and a coach that's like well yeah dude you have you know you have all the information there so like absolutely credible, right? Just a, a credible source of, of real raw data uh, that's worth a listen. And I encourage all restorers and even non-restorers that just want to hear a really good book uh, to, to pick it up. Um, so that that's really cool, man. Um, the What I also liked about it is initially, you know, just from the jump, I, I, I believe it's the second chapter and correct me if I'm wrong, but one of the first things that you aim to do before you started getting into the, the tactic or the, you know, the tactical advice and information, the first portion of the book was on mindset. 
right? Overcoming mindset. And, and, and could you, could you touch on that? Yeah, absolutely. The restoration industry is absolutely wonderful. And I think it holds true for maybe a lot of other industries like HVAC plumbing, real estate on the, we love to get nitty gritty on the like technicals. Like in our industry, we have a bunch of resources out there, like the IICRC on how many air movers it takes <laughs> to dry a building and such. And then you'll see a lot of successful restoration entrepreneurs that don't really geek out over these things, right? And they end up taking their businesses to, you know, wonderful heights and you sit to try to have a technical conversation on how to dry a building with them. And they really just won't be interested in that. And they really won't follow along. And the little guys are like, oh, wow, how did this guy get that big without <laughs> knowing all these technical things? And at the end of the day, it's, it's mindset. It's, you know... I talked to a lot of people. Hey, what's your, what'd you do this year? Oh, I did 600,000. What's your goal for next year? 700,000. I'm like, dude, there's people out there that have done a million dollars, $2 million in their first year. Mm -hmm. You can do it too. Right. And if you only set your mind to something small and you only dream small, you'll only do small things. Mm -hmm. But like, if you dream big and you give yourself permission that's another big thing in yes. restoration. A lot of these people come from being employees within companies, right? And even like a small little company will generate good cash flow and then imposter syndrome kicks in. Like, what did I do to deserve this? Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And then the mind just plays games on you and it holds you back. So the first two chapters were basically, Hey, what's your mind operate like? And then we also talked about in chapter two, the Jacks and the Georges, there's yes. like two different types of the brain. Mm -hmm. Um, one jacks are very entrepreneurial sell 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 disorganized georges are the nerdy more organized people very structured uh, but they struggle with sales and identifying which part of the mind you are and then understanding that you have to find a way to replace the other part of the mind that that you're missing out on so um but that's if, if you don't even dream to build a 10 million dollar company it won't happen by accident like eight figure companies don't build themselves by accident they build themselves by somebody intentionally saying, this is what I'm going to do. Here's how I'm going to get to it. And then every single day, making a step towards that. Um, and yeah, that's another principle I believe in is life by design versus life by default. So if you don't dream, if you don't design your life, if you don't have aspirations, you'll get to the default. You'll get pulled in a million different directions by your environment and you'll just accidentally end up somewhere accidentally end up in retirement. It might be good retirement, it might be bad retirement, right? If you believe in life by design, meaning you're designing your future, you're step-by-step -step knowing exactly where you got to get to. And if I wake you up at two o'clock in the morning and ask you, where do you want to be in five years? You know the house, you know the car, you know you know the impact you have on the world and stuff like that. And you work towards it, you're going to naturally and intentionally build a life versus it just flying by and it just happened. Mm. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, man, that's, that's incredible. And, and so powerful and so true. And it's so funny because even with the, the personal development that I had to this point now, when it came to December of 2023, there mm -hmm. I was, and, and, um, you know, I'm, 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 I got my, my, I got my, I, I like to whiteboard. So I start, you know, kind of going, mm -hmm. going rain man on it. <laughs> um, I, um, I started writing out my goals um, and not, mm -hmm. not like a new year's resolution, but an actual goal, right? Like what I'm going to mm -hmm. do with the company and trying to work on the vision of the company and um, a couple points there, but I'll finish this first thought. And when I wrote it out, I, so this, 
uh, you know, full transparency, we 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 uh, got over the 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 seven figure threshold um, last mm-hmm. year, which is incredible. You know, Congrats, uh, man. thank you. And I know we could have done it sooner, but it was that mindset that that held me back. Right. Mm-hmm. So now here we are. We 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 got to seven figure company. Like, okay, cool. A little bit of imposter syndrome sinks in. I'm like, okay, cool. But no, no, I'm gonna shake that because I know, you know, I'm doing some work on myself to to overcome mm-hmm. that. And then I I write out the goal, right? Mm-hmm. And I remember my uh, my coach uh, Chris Warren. He he looks over. Uh, I, I we were on a Zoom call, and I, I flipped the board the board over, and I showed him because mm-hmm. I, I wanted to show him something specific. But when he went, his eyes went right to the number I had wrote, and he goes, "Dude, you gotta you gotta bump that up. Yeah. <laughs> you gotta bump that up." And I realized that what I was doing was the same pattern that I've had for a long time, and. I, even though the number was bigger and it's still pretty intimidating, to be honest, just because, you know, overcoming limited mindset and all that good stuff, I was still putting something down that I knew that even though it's a hard number to get to, I knew that it's still staying within a comfort zone. I'm I'm living yep. in comfort. I have this pattern of mm-hmm. staying within comfort. And it was incredible to see. And, I, and I'm like, man, I've, I've been into this person development for some time and I'm still a victim to this, right? And so yeah. when when I had him in one ear telling me, hey man, we gotta bump that up. And I had Restoration Millionaire in the, in the, in, in the other ear, the, the light came on again, man. So even then, mm-hmm. man, we're constantly learning, we're constantly evolving and you're constantly taking in the good, you know, or bad content that's out there. And so surrounding yourself, like you said, with the people that have done it, surrounding yourself with people that are doing the things that you want to do or have accomplished the things you want to do. is just so huge because it's a never ending battle. This personal development thing, there's no end date to it, right? It's just continue nope. to evolve and grow. And it's pretty, pretty incredible. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. The one thing I want to kind of chime in on, on what I learned about the comfort zone and what stuck with me. I think I was listening to maybe Gary Brecka's podcast with uh, Joe Rogan. Gary Brecka is like a mortality expert, but he was basically, and it might not have been him and maybe I'm just attributing it to him, but he was talking about how, you know, comfort speeds up degradation. So a lot of people, the American dream is to work till you're 50, 60, whatever, and then retire, stop doing everything, right? And then when we look at the classes of the population over 60, 70 and so on and so forth, of the people who are sedentary, they no longer do stuff and stuff like that. And they're living the dream, they're resting. They actually degrade at a faster rate. Like your body, once you're at rest, right? And I I wouldn't call it rest, but let's just call it a sedentary lifestyle. That's when the issues start coming in. And like, there's a direct correlation in my brain between comfort zone and degradation. I can stay uncomfortable and live longer and do more where I can get in my comfort zone and then start sliding off. Mm. So, I do think like your goals should scare you a little bit. Like they should be to where if you tell it to the average person, they're like, you're fucking crazy. No way. Right. Because there's people who have done it. Like there's, there's a billion dollar a year restoration company and a few of them in, in the market. Like if that person could do it, why can't you do it? They've got two hands, two feet, one brain, two eyes, one nose, you know, Mm -hmm. they didn't, they weren't born in some super rich family with so many things. Right. So yeah. Yeah. Super relatable, man. And, and, and like I said, that chapter in that book, when I <laughs> kind of stopped me on my tracks, so you, 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 you told that story of the guy, who goes, you know, Oh my, my goal next year is 500 or 600,000. Mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah, that sounds familiar. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And it, it starts shifting, right? Because once, you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, once you hit a certain revenue threshold, like there are studies out there that once you hit over 90 to a hundred thousand dollars a year, 
the amount of more money doesn't necessarily bring happiness, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Because you've already fulfilled like the basic needs and overlay the basic needs, right? Yeah. So you need to find, okay, well, what's that bigger fulfillment driver? And it becomes less about, oh, direct cash in my pocket and more about value that you're bringing, legacy that you're leaving behind, mm -hmm. how many other people are you impacting and, and stuff like that. So, um, but I'm glad, I'm glad you have a coach that, that pushed you harder. And I'm glad that the chapter in the book, um, helped you, you know, reinforce that for you. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, no, and I appreciate that, man. So let's talk about, uh, the, the George and, uh, what was the other one? George and Jack, George and Jack, man. Because that, again, that's something that I just want to touch on because it's just so relatable because you're either one or the other, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so could you, uh, can you talk about George and Jack? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so my publisher and I sat down and my goal is to eventually have a Wall Street Journal bestseller. And I'm like, I think we found the, the topic that we're going to write about. And uh, the title of the book will probably be Hustlers, Hustlers Fail at Scale. Mm -hmm. uh, but the concept of George of Jack kind of outlines this dichotomy that I oftentimes would attribute my success to. And when I was working with my father, I would always tell people, like, we were two completely different human beings, but together we were unstoppable. And what I mean by that is, you know, when we first started, I was 18 year old crazy kid who had nothing to lose. Like wake up at two o'clock in the morning, go chase a fire, like fight for everything, whether it's right or wrong, you know, like fire in your belly, hungry, yada, yada. Right. Mm -hmm. My dad had been through the ringer, had lost a couple of times. He would always say, Hey, I'm older. I can't lose as much. I can't take as much rest. Personality wise, my dad was very organized, very analytical. Um, he'd always look at numbers. He was really good with math, a lot better than I was. I was good at quick math. He was better at like analytical math. You would ask him, hey, where's the drill in the garage? He would tell you it's on that back <laughs> wall on that specific shelf right there, right? Yep, yep. Me, and I, I was losing my wallet every morning. It took me <laughs> half an hour to find my wallet in the morning, right? Yep. So completely different personalities. But as the business evolved, I realized that if I can jump forward with something super high risk, but then also convince my father who did the analytical process on it, it was probably a good idea. And I think had my father not been involved in the business, I would have probably broken my neck. Had I not been involved in the business, it would have grown as exponentially. So then, you know, as I advanced into the career, switched over to the Albi side, I, I started doing a little bit of private coaching. And I had, you know, I have five private coaching clients and, you know, I had two separate clients kind of come up to me. One of them was running a, you know, $10 million plus restoration company that he had grown over the past five years. And it was just absolutely amazing cash flowing. The problem was the company was huge. There was no levels of management. Everybody was running around with their hair on fire. There was no <laughs> standard way of doing things. Yep. People were quitting left and right. People were just on the verge of burnout. And the guy was about to lose his mind. He had grown himself into the zone of pain where he hated the fact that he had this giant business. And then on the other spectrum, I have uh, a client of mine call me. I was on a beach in Mexico. I answer and he's like, hey, I'm, I'm out. I want to get out. I want to sell my business. I'm like, great. Let me hook you up with some people. Where, where are you at revenue wise? Where are you at EBITDA wise? And he was like $500,000 a year of revenue. I'm like, dude, it's going to be an asset sale. You're not going to get anything. Why not fix the business and grow it? Well, I just can't get the sales off the ground. This guy was an ex Nestle guy, super, you know, systematized, organized, super George like minded. Um, 
create an SOP over everything. His company had way too many SOPs for the size of the company that it was, but always struggled with the sales. And it became clearly evident that there's two sides of the brain. And then when I, when I started researching it for the book, I realized that, you know, this same mindset existed in Rolls Royce and Walt Disney and a bunch of other companies. Mm -hmm. And it's like, they're, they're two different sides of the brain and understanding which one you are and how to complement it is absolutely very important. So in the book we talk about, if you're like Jack, where you're a, you know, let's call it a hustler, right? You can sell freaking ice to Eskimos. You have no issue bringing jobs through the door. The business is absolutely exploding, but you're a mess. Like you're looking for your car keys for 20 minutes every single day. You need to understand how to complement that side. And you need to work on your George side, not put more fuel on the fire on the Jack side. Your ego wants you to put more fuel on the fire on the Jack side, because that's where you get reward, mm -hmm. right? But you will break your neck if you outsell yourself and outsell the organizational structure of your company. Now, as a George, you need to stop focusing on the meticulous organizational stuff and figure out a way that you can actually get outside of your comfort zone and actually sell your product or your service. Because no matter how great and meticulous and organized and polished your product and service is, if you can't get it out there into the world and convince people of the value of it, your business will not grow, mm. right? So that's pretty much the moral of that chapter within the book. First of all, it's identifying which one you are. And then second of all, it's understanding that you need to add more Jack to your George or more George to your Jack, depending on what side you are. And there's different ways you can do it. One is like working on that area of weakness. Like I've become a lot more organized, a lot more systemized than I was, you know, six to seven years ago. But at the same token, my co-founder Shamoil here at Albiware, he's a hundred percent George, right? <laughs> and we work so well together, right? I drive sales. I'm the one in front of the investors, pitching the vision, driving the money, all that stuff. He's sitting there running the engineering team, which is very technical. He's the one who actually wraps his head around the big vision and figures out how to actually tactically execute upon it. And we do super well together because of that. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. And so as a Jack can become a, a little bit more George-like and a George can become like Jack, right? But it's it's 100%. it's definitely a... a a dive into oneself and, and, and putting ego aside and, and identifying your gaps. Right. That, and, um, you know, it's, it's kind of funny. I, I've worked for both, you know, um, I, so I was an entrepreneur, uh, operations manager for a large franchise for about 14 years before going off on my own and different franchises. Um, <clears throat> and I worked for a George and I worked for a Jack and, yeah. and it's, and it's kind of funny cause innately I'm, I'm more of a, you know, I'm definitely more of an implementer, you know, I, I want to mm -hmm. get out there and just get to work and do it and fly by the seat of my pants and just get it. And so slowly I started realizing, thank God I realized it early on, but now it's funny because of reading your book, I'm like, man, okay, do I have too many systems for the size of my organization? So then it's, you know, it's just a constant adjustment and tweak and balance. And it's pretty, it's pretty cool, but again, relatable. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad, man. I'm glad. Yeah. So you, you, after after you identify yourself, after you identify mindset, right? Then comes on the technical stuff. You want? Do you want to touch a little bit about? I mean, without giving it all away. I mean, just just no. We can to... give it all away. There's no such thing. <laughs> well, you know, well, you ask me any question, I give it away. Like I don't gate, gate anything. Sure. I, anybody can copy anything. Like I'm all for it. Right. So yeah, we can give it all away. So, no worries. <laughs> so, so, so let's get into talking a little bit about some of that. Um, so first off, to start off, I, I, another part that really jumped at me was when you were talking about, and, and again, you'll see why, why I'm pausing here, but is CAC? 
right? Yeah. So of course. So when you're talking about, <laughs> when, and we, you shared this story, and I, and I can't believe I can't remember exactly what the revenue was when you were speaking to a was it maybe a friend or a client, and they were mm-hmm. doing some pretty killer numbers, and then you started asking him about his CAC, and you started asking mm-hmm. him maybe about his EBITDA, and 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 they looked at you and kind of huh yeah <laughs> right and what you what what in case you know some of the listeners are, are thinking that themselves you know i love the fact that you you hit the nail on the head and you said that in restoration specifically and i'm sure it's relatable again across other industries but you can be successful you can find success in spite of yourself yeah <laughs> right or, or in spite of some of those shortcomings and so you know yeah, I mean, we, you, you start producing these, you know, numbers, and you start getting in. Okay, cool. We built seven figures. Well, what was your customer acquisition cost? Yeah. Oh, oh I, I don't know. <laughs> so let, let's touch on that a little bit because the setting, knowing, understanding this part of it would, would be a good segue to the next part. You know, getting into the fishing holes and everything else that we, we you know, you write about in of course. the book. Yeah. So when I transitioned out of restoration world which it was just my father and I, no outside capital, and moved over to the software world. Right off out of the cuff, I started having a pitch to these investors. And I started seeing how investment funds, venture capitalists work and stuff like that. We went through Y Combinator, which was like, a, I don't know, call it the shark tank of, of software. Anyway, raised a couple of rounds and then eventually then had a board um, of basically board members at, at the company. And one of the board members um, that came in, Joey Kim, him and I are super close now, super tight. He was an ex-McKinsey consultant, and he actually um, worked on a lot of different projects. He'd go into big companies with big problems and fix them. And I would always get grilled. And we were like maybe a million to $2 million a year of software at the time. And I would get grilled on all these nitty gritty things that I never once had to talk about, like what's gross margin, what's CAC, when you think about scalability, how are you going to scale, stuff like that. And then as I started learning more, I had some, some friends who ended up selling their restoration companies. I started learning more about valuations at Albi too. I learned how to, the markets value a company and how it's all a multiple of something. And I realized that all those numbers and all those metrics were super important and drove decisions. And I realized that in the restoration industry, we barely track any of them, right? In the restoration industry and most home service industries, I bet you a lot of owners don't know exactly how much revenue they produce within a year. I bet you most restoration owners don't know the difference between accrual revenue and cash revenue. And then you dive deeper into things like CAC, customer acquisition cost, right? No clue. You dive even deeper into EBITDA, for example, which Jeff Moore and I had a podcast together. He's the president of uh, ATI. He Mm. only learned that term like five years ago. And they're like a multiple nine figure restoration company Mm -hmm. that's acquiring other restoration companies. (laughs) And like EBITDA is basically the bottom line number that is used to calculate the valuation of a restoration company. Um, So I don't know like how deep you want to get into it, but the way I look at numbers is like, if you go to the hospital and you've got heart pain or you've got some sort of issues, they hook you up to a bunch of machines and they spit out certain numbers. And based on that data, they make certain prescriptions and recommendations. When it comes to your business, you need to have a good handle over the numbers. So that way you can understand what things are going well and what things aren't. So that way you can make the right decisions. Just running the business based off of sentiment, like I can't even, I can't even tell you how many times I felt like the business was going good and I looked at the numbers and it was going bad. 
And I can't tell you how many times and actually moreover, more times it happens where I feel like the business is going bad or it's not moving fast enough. And I look at the numbers and compare them to before and they're going super amazing. Mm. So um, I'm a pilot also, last thing I'll mention, I'm a pilot, I fly little planes, instrument rated. And part of the instrument training is learn how to fly in the clouds where you can't see what's going on outside. So your eyes can't tell you if you're sideways, upside down, right side up and so on and so forth. And the number one thing they teach you there is trust your instruments. And sometimes your gut will tell you that you're going to the right, but when you look at the instrument, you're actually going to the left. Mm. And that's actually how the Kennedy um, member who was a pilot actually died because he got himself stuck into um, cloud conditions without knowing how to trust the instruments. So number one advice to anybody, any entrepreneur is like, really know your what's called unit economics, right? Know the fundamental parts of your business. Know how much revenue per customer, how many customers you've sold this month, top line revenue in how much you've invoiced, top line bottom or top line revenue and how much you've you've collected. How much does it cost you for every single unit you produce? Right. So if you do a mitigation job, how what percentage of that job is allocated towards direct costs like labor and material? Right. And then customer acquisition cost. How much does it cost you to acquire a customer? Does it cost you more to acquire a customer off of one channel versus another? Like if billboards are super expensive, but you know, word of mouth is super cheap. Why in the world are you spending all of your money and time and effort on billboards mm -hmm. when you can spend your more of your time, money and effort on, you know, word of mouth. A lot of times as, as entrepreneurs, we want to please everybody. Right. So a lot of restoration companies will start doing mitigation work, which is the emergency work. And then all of a sudden they want to become rebuild companies. Mm -hmm. It's like, whoa, like what is the cost of goods sold for rebuild? Is it really worth it to go into rebuild? Or do you end up just doing this much more work? But at the end of the year, you make a lot less money. Right. Because I've seen million dollar restoration companies that bring in $400,000 of free flow and cash flow. And I've seen $3 million restoration companies that are negative cash flow, right? So just because you went from one to three doesn't necessarily mean you did the right thing. Mm. Um, so it's very important. And we can sit here and talk about numbers and they're not super sexy, but the business part is data-driven decision-making. If you're about to make a decision, you need to know all of those metrics and how all those metrics impact the decision you're about to make. Yeah, no, that's awesome. And that's perfect. That was the perfect explanation that I was looking for without going cross-eyed and too deep, right? Just because it, yeah. it's, uh, it's, it's heavy, right? It's, it's, it's the, un the unsexy stuff, right? But, yeah. that's, but that's also, like you said, that's how you're going to land that plane, yeah. <laughs> right? Georges love this stuff. Mm -hmm. jacks they'll run away from it yeah. they don't want to hear it yeah they're yeah. like i don't care about cac i don't care about that just put more jobs through the door yeah. Yeah. george's will over geek out on everything and then they won't be they'll be afraid to take a step in the other direction you know that's so. it so you got your mindset you know developed you got you 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 figure out if you're a george or a jack you know you got your numbers in check right now what right now now let's let's move into the well there's a lot obviously between now and then but let's let's go ahead and now and and turn the page into uh getting into the fishing holes right because i because that's now that's yeah. that's kind of this that's the sexy stuff for me right because <laughs> I, yeah. I wonder what personality i am right <laughs> of course yeah yeah um, yeah so once you've got you know your mindset clear and you understand how to track things you need to have a strategy um on how you're going to get where you're going to get right so 
I guess the first question is where do you want to get? And that's where like the 4D dream comes into play. Where where do you see yourself in five years? Is mm. it $10 million of revenue? Setting that flag, whatever it may be. And then the, the second question is, well, what's the strategy to getting there? And I created in the book for restorers, the restoration millionaire method. If you were to throw me into a random market today and you were to have me build a restoration company from the ground up from zero to, to, to eight figures, so $10 million a year, what would I do and how would I do it? And it's a five-year plan. Um, and the restoration millionaire method focuses on things that I didn't do that I should have done, right? So I didn't necessarily follow this when we were in the Chicagoland market. This is just what I would say if I were to do, to do it all again. And to get to your first million dollars, so if we talk about fishing holes, fishing holes are different areas where we fish for work in, right? And then services are different like service offerings that we have. The first step, fishing hole one, will get you to about a million dollars. And I'm a firm believer that every single restoration contractor listening to this podcast that hasn't driven at least a million dollars of revenue from online marketing, they're doing something wrong. So they should go, I, my private clients work with James LaRosa from Restoration Growth Partners. Uh, they rebranded because there was two companies, but anyway, um, he is a guru in the sense of he will get you to a million dollars a year with online marketing. Obviously you can't guarantee anything. And then obviously there's the thumbtacks and the Google guarantees and, and a few other options. But you know, the first step is focus on one service, emergency service only, mitigation only. It's the most profitable in our industry and focus on one fishing hole. Don't try to go after all the services in the world because then your attention's all over the place and you'll screw them all up. And do not try to blitz the entire market and go after all the agents, all the plumbers, all the property managers, all the online marketing, you sign up for all the TPAs and all that stuff. It just won't work. If you focus on one thing, dominate one thing first, that's kind of the step-by-step -step process. So then the second step, once you've crossed a million dollars, so you get to about three, is introducing a new fishing hole because online marketing will only get you so far, but only one. So you're going to go after relationships. That's what I prefer. You can pick whatever you want to go after. Uh, Rich Ellie Mordecai, for example, who was also on this podcast is an expert at that, mm -hmm. but I would pick one type of person to build relationships with maybe insurance agents as the category, maybe plumbers, maybe property management companies, right? You pick one and just one. The reason is in order to do relationship marketing well, you basically need to take your product or service, meaning restoration and position it as an add-on service to the person you're marketing to. So you can't just go around with donuts and, you know, free dinners out to insurance agents and get them to buy because all of your competitors are doing that. Mm -hmm. So if you want to stand out, you need to go with a claims screening service to insurance agents, for example. And in order to do that right, you need to focus on just insurance agents, right? So to get from one to three, your emergency services only, one service offering, and then two fishing holes. Online marketing will get you 1 million, and then the other $2 million will come just from insurance agents. Now, once you've mastered how to do relationship marketing with insurance agents, the next step is easy. You just go after multiple referral sources using the same things that got you successful, like the means and methods with insurance agents, right? So from three to five, you're now adding in plumbers, property managers, whatever, TPAs if you want. And you're basically following what you've learned from you know the one referral source to the multiple, right? So now you're a $5 million a year, mitigation only restoration company, you should be returning about a million dollars a year of free flowing cash flow, which is absolutely excellent. And you're doing a great job and have this network of people within your market that's referring you work. 
So what's the easiest way to get to the next step? Well, now, since we have all these referral sources, we can explore adding on another service because every single emergency service job can turn into a reconstruction job. We don't want to do it early on because like the juice isn't worth the squeeze. Mm. Reconstruction services give you like a 50% uh, gross margin. They're very labor and material intensive. They're specific. The homeowner's nitty gritty, right? You can really break your neck and screw up early on. Emergency services, two to three days, you're in and out. You know, you, it doesn't require a lot of skill to do, right? So you get from five to seven or five to eight by adding on multiple other service types, right? So now all the mitigation services turn into recon services. And then after 8 million and beyond, you can then think about how you expand your territory. So at the beginning, you do not want to cover the entire metropolitan area of LA or the entire Northern state of Illinois, mm -hmm. you want to have like, you know, a 30 to 40 mile radius, right. And just be super laser focused. Then you start expanding outward. And then after that, you know, 10, 15 million plus, depending on your population center, you might start needing to add multiple other locations. And the fun part about the restoration millionaire method is when you add another location, you just start with step one. Rinse, wash, and that repeat. location goes to a million a year. And then you start marketing to the agents in that area. And then it goes on and on and on. Yeah. So it's distilled. It's super simple. It works. I mean, you know, I've got clients from just starting out to, you know, almost $20 million a year revenue. And, um, you know, it'll work with all people. I've got clients in, you know, Salt Lake city, which is a small market, parts of Connecticut, small market, Seattle, small market, actually, other than Romexterra, there aren't that many big markets that I consult in. So, um, it's totally doable. Yeah. That's awesome, man. <clears throat> and yeah. yeah, I, again, um, we're, I'm going to keep plugging this book because I mean, there you go guys. Like how, how, how yeah. the how to, right. And it's really cool. I, I, you had, um, I had signed up for the early, the early release of the book and, um, mm -hmm. and you were gracious enough to kick over the first few chapters of that book. And I remember opening up the email and downloading the PDF and going right, you know, just kind of skimming through. And when, once I saw the method and had the way that you broke it down, you know, one to three, three to five, five plus kind of thing. I was like, Oh, cool. This is so cool. Cause you could easily just drop a pin and say, I am here. And I know those yeah. are generic numbers and you know, they, they can move yeah. around a little bit. <clears throat> but um but no um super super tactical super tactical yeah. book and and i love the way you set it up again starting with the mindset going into doing, doing a diving yourself and what you want and what you, you know and then going from there so no it, it's fantastic um i haven't gotten beyond the, 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 these chapters so i'm still i'm still going through the book um is there any is there anything else that you want to add in, in regards to the book yeah, I mean, I think the last thing, um, and this will be relatable to any business, but it happens especially in restoration, is what I call the reactive roller coaster. Uh, and I believe a hundred percent of the people listening to this podcast will relate to this. Comment below if you relate to this. But you know, one day you're focusing on sales, right? Because you have no jobs coming through the door. You're focusing on sales, right? Then you get sales. Then you're like, oh crap, I don't have people to do the work with. So then you focus on going to find the people. You kind of forget about sales, right? <laughs> then you found the people. Now you got all this work through the door, but you haven't built it. So then you focus on building all this work and getting it out so that we can collect the money. Again, you forgot about sales and people. And then after you've built it all, right? Now you got all of this money. You go look in the bank account. It's like, it's empty. And all this money sitting on the books. You got to go collect it. So you focus on collecting that money, right? 
And then you realize that after you've collected all that money, you're back into a dry spell, back into stage one. And it's just up and down and up and down. You're just not in control. Yeah. Right. And I remember we got to $3 million a year and we were looking at the bank account. We're like, what in the world did we get ourselves into? <laughs> we went from a couple hundred thousand dollars a year of revenue to $3 million a year of revenue and the bank account's still empty. It's like, is this working? I don't know. I, I think it's working. And the only difference was that bank account was our accounts receivable. It was money that was sitting on other people's books, right? And people owed us this money mm -hmm. and we just weren't able to, to collect it quick enough. So again, life by design versus default. If you work by default, you'll end up on this reactive roller coaster where you go up and down and up and down. You don't have control over your life or your business. And then you hate it because it's unpredictable. Or you can design it, right? And then become what we call the proactive pilot Again, I know there's some puns in there, but um, you're actually in control. So setting a foundation, setting those systems up, following the restoration millionaire method will prevent you from having to go up and down and up and down like that. If you're laser focused on one thing, because the big thing, the restoration millionaire method goes through is just focus, right? Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, if we're going to distill it down into one word. It's focus. Do not try to do everything. And entrepreneurs they're the exact opposite. Hey, can you clean my carpets? Of course I can. 20 bucks, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. We should start cleaning carpets, right? I had a client who was doing mitigation work who wanted to add, you know, duck cleaning services and went and bought the shiny toy of a duck cleaning service. <laughs> and then somebody came with a van. Hey, do you want to buy my van? And he bought it. It's like, dude, <laughs> hang on a second. Yeah. Focus, right? Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Especially no. for Jacks, that's hard. Yeah, it is. And again, dude, I, I, that's, and I'm speaking as a restorer, but damn, this book is so relatable, man. And I forgot, and then shame on me for not starting with the roller coaster method because, or yeah. right, because not method, but the roller coaster, right? Because I was on that ride, man, yeah. <laughs> right? And and it wasn't until again, till, till started implementing systems and, you know, we're still working on things. We're still early in our, in our, in our uh, deal here, but um, acknowledging that was the first step was just think, having that sort of awareness to realize that, Hey, something's got to give here because when I get busy, I'm in the field with my guys and I'm not selling. Then we finish up jobs then I don't have work and, you know, and then repeat, repeat, repeat. So, um, and, and you're absolutely right. It, this is something that I've discussed in, 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 in person masterminds with, with, um, other, other entrepreneurs, um, who share the same, the same struggle. Right. And um, and I love the way that it's like less is more focus, zero in on one thing, do one thing really well. And then, you know, kind of once you have that yeah. in your back pocket, move on. <clears throat> Alex, man, I I um, I. I, I'm, I love the book, bro. <laughs> and, I'm I, and, and I'm seeing the feedback, man. I'm seeing the tags. I'm seeing, I'm seeing uh, the post and it's really cool that it's getting out to this community because I feel like we've been as restorers, we have been, um, you know, we, we've just neglected this whole, this whole, um, this whole journey of personal development. And, and I know that people are craving it. So you are uh, definitely, um, you know, a pioneer in the, in the industry and, um, and I applaud you for it, man. I really do. Thanks, man. Appreciate you. Yeah. Um, I want to be respectful of your time. I know we got off to a little bit of a late start. Um, I want to encourage all the listeners to go ahead and, and of course, we're going to drop some links um, on how you could get your copy of, of Restoration Millionaire. Um, it is also, uh, like I mentioned, I'm listening to the audio book and, uh, and Alex, you did a, a, a damn fine job in, uh, in narrating that book. Uh, very, Thanks, <clears throat> very, uh, very personable and, um, and entertaining and enjoyable read. Um, is there anything else that you want to add before we close things out? 
I think the biggest takeaway for anybody listening to this podcast is don't let your mind get in a way of the goals that you have to set. You can do it. A lot of other people have done it. And the only thing that's getting in your way is your mind. So dream big, no small plans. And um, follow me on socials. I pour a lot into socials. There's not a lot of monetization or any monetization. I mean, the book you can call monetizing, but I get a buck a book. I mean, it costs more to release the book than I get out of it. Uh, but you can follow me, you know, Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, all of that. I've got a wonderful team who makes sure that the voice is heard there. And yeah, restorationmillionaire.com. If you want to download the book, we'd uh, greatly appreciate any support there. We've got some aggressive goals, 10,000 copies that we want to sell there we go. this year. So. Yeah, we're going we're gonna to blast it on social. We'll put all your information so people get a, a, could get in contact with you. I also do want to let the audience know and, and stop me if I'm, if I'm selling the wrong, the wrong deal here, but uh, you do have a, a small mastermind group online mastermind group starting up if you wanted to get some uh some some coaching time with uh with alex can they can they people jump in on that at least right now right at the time of airing. yeah so we <laughs> what we did with the mastermind and you know you'll just dm me and my team will handle it from there see if you're a good fit it's restoration specific so if you're not in restoration it might not be but we basically there was a bunch of people that were asking for private coaching slots i didn't have any available uh, due to my time being focused on I'll be hundred percent, but I took one slot and converted it into a group coaching. So basically, uh, people get, um, a presentation every single week. It's an hour and a half coaching call. And then afterwards they bring their problems in a group setting. Um, so if you're interested, you can DM me on socials. My team handles that. And then they can kind of walk you through the process. And we're not like hard sell. Like if, if we don't find people are a good fit, we've, we've shied people away. Um, we want you to get the value out of it. And yeah, it's just, another i guess thing that we do here perfect so. perfect and and i wish we would have you know i could have plugged this in if we were going to record a couple of weeks earlier but good luck to you on your in-person mastermind that's one of the first in, of its kind for our industry over in chicago the evolve event that you have yeah. going on great yeah, list man. of speakers and, and i again man i'm watching what you're doing and i'm just I, it fills me up man because that that's exactly down you know that the path that uh that I, I, I want to see in our industry. And, um, and again, awesome. I, com I commend you for it. Thank you so much, Alex, for your time and for everything that you do and, and for your book and for doing this deep dive, man. It's, it's incredible, full of value. I appreciate you, man. Um, we'll, uh, we'll go ahead and stay in touch, my friend. Again, thank you for Absolutely. your time. All right, buddy. Thanks, man. Yep. This was a blast. Awesome. Take care. Thank you. Bye-bye.